0: What helped me was not talking about it. Because uh, mm-hmm. so a lot of times people like talking about what they're going to do at parties and this and that. And, and it, for me, I, I did that. When I did that, it kind of like made me feel like, oh, yeah, I'm actually doing it hmm. because I gave it a voice. But then nothing happened, you know. And mm-hmm. so I realized the talking was undermining my real work.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Screenwriter Survival Guide. Today, I am sitting down with actor Adrian Martinez, who recently wrote, directed, and starred in the film I, Gilbert, which is now playing in select theaters and is available on all digital platforms. Adrian, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's great for you to be here. Um, I always like to start off with your journey as an actor and as a filmmaker. So what first drew you to this business, and how did you go about turning your interests into a career?
0: Well, to be honest, I was a sprinter in in high school. You wouldn't believe it now, but uh, (laughs) I was a sprinter, and um, they were putting up signs uh, for a reality show called Unsolved Mysteries, and they needed a sprinter. Huh and uh and uh i wasn't interested and my friend said dude you're the fastest one here you should do this huh yeah i'm not really interested and he said look it's 600 dollars for the day and i was like okay where do i go yeah <laughs> and, um, the whole audition was just like a 40-yard sprint and yeah i left everybody in the dust and i got the job <laughs> nice and the next thing i knew i was just like on set and the guy was like you just have to run up to this door and just bang on it open the door open the door and i say well why am i banging on the door and he's like well th- th- that doesn't matter okay um so sure. i ran and banged on the door it turns out i was a teen rapist allegedly oh um i don't know why you didn't want to tell I me mean, i was 16 you know? um but uh yeah. so it turns out he didn't really do it um gotcha so, good that's so you weren't lot. actually <laughs> right yeah but i became say after eligible and nice and now just 20 years later here we go
1: <laughs> that's crazy it's always crazy for me to hear stories about people who who came into the industry with that kind of accidentally this feels yeah. like kind of a, a it's it's not really an industry you fall into but it's it's super cool and a little it makes me a little bit like frustrated also <laughs> but in a good way um to hear that you kind of stumbled into your first job but that's that's really cool.
0: Yeah, uh and I you know I had fun. I mean, I yeah. had fun and I realized very quickly I couldn't do anything else. So here yeah.
1: we are. Huh, nice. That's great. And did you always know or like at what point did you start realizing you wanted to write and direct as well as uh as well as act?
0: Well, pretty much uh from the very beginning. Like mm-hmm. it, even when I was talking to this guy, why am I banging on this door? It was mm-hmm. kind of like a directorial question, you know, yeah. and I've always had a directorial point of view like whenever I'm working uh-huh. whenever I would go to movies or or deal with uh, other actors it was always from the perspective of the of uh, of the director you know why doesn't he use a 50 lens or maybe uh, this guy's playing the emotion and not the moment and and I just had <laughs> these constant questions and then you know I worked a lot uh, over the years and uh, always the sidekick to this star or that uh-huh. one and and then it, at a certain point, you know, you just realize. And I hit my my forties. I was just I just need to do something to say about the world that I'm mm-hmm. seeing. You know, like I felt a lot of growing disconnection in the mm-hmm. world, and I just thought, you know, it's not enough just to be a sidekick right now. I just mm-hmm. I need to scare myself. I need to take some chances, and I need to write a script. And that's what I did with I Gilbert. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and you you did it beautifully. I Gilbert is a is a beautiful film. Um, so, uh, you you mentioned that you you were seeing a lot of disconnection in the world, and what specifically what, what what made you think that this story, the story of I Gilbert, is it was the story you needed to tell for uh, to remedy that?
0: Well, I just kind of I was sitting on the subway. I mean, I wrote this ten years ago. Just mm-hmm. so you know, it's been a right. long time. Um, and uh, opposite me was this attractive lady. And this guy just walked up to her and just started taking pictures of her hmm. very close to her face. Mm-hmm. And she was very disturbed by it. What the hell are you doing? Leave me alone. Yeah. And what really flipped me out was how cold and impassive this guy was. You know, he was huh. just like, he wasn't upset. He wasn't angry. He wasn't, he wasn't creepy, creepy. He was just like emotionally dead. Um, and then he got off the train the next stop. And I just started asking the questions, you know, like, who is this guy? What motivated him to do that?
2: Mm.
0: And where is this going culturally where mm. a guy feels, cause I've seen it quite a few yeah. times. And I've seen news reports of people being like uh, uh, arrested. And I just thought, you know, like, why, why is this happening? And then, you know, my daughter, she just became a teenager and I just like, well, who is she going to be with in this group? You know, like. So I was just like, you know, uh, kind of concerned about these things. And that led to the script.
2: Hmm,
1: I can imagine. That's, that's a crazy, that's a crazy story. I mean, I'm sure for yeah. women, that's not, unfortunately, not as crazy as it should be. And yeah. so you mentioned it's, it's been 10 years since you wrote the script. Have you been actively working on making the film ever since? Or did you uh, put it in a drawer for a while and then come back to it more recently?
0: I mean, I, I, I wrote it and then I took it to uh, my mentor, Jose Rivera, who's mm-hmm. the executive producer of the movie. And writers should know him from uh, a script he did called The Motorcycle Diaries about Che Guevara. Mm-hmm. Um, he won an Oscar nomination for that script. And he is an extremely cool and generous man. And he allowed me, a novice really, to, to come into his writing group. Uh, with the script where I workshopped it for a year and I would have different writers read different parts Mm -hmm. of the script and see what would work, what, what didn't, uh, the beats, uh, the logic, the dialogue. And it really, really took flight in that, in that writing room. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was, uh, it was really helpful. It was held at uh, the former home of Rip Torn and Geraldine Page, uh, Mm -hmm. It's a place in Chelsea, New York, called Torn Page. And uh, okay. so the whole thing felt very cool and, and writer-esque. Yeah. And then I tried very hard to get it uh, financed. Uh, and I couldn't raise a penny. And um, right. uh, so ultimately, I just moved the money from savings to checking. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, no, that uh, I... Recently went through a very similar process um, on a film where it's just uh, tried to get funding, just ran up against brick wall after brick wall after brick wall, and finally was like, screw it, we're just going to do it ourselves. Um, sometimes, that's the, sometimes that's the answer. You just figure out the funding yourself. Um, yeah.
0: It kind of like feels like the universe is asking you, how really badly do you want yeah. to do this? Yeah, this
1: this definitely is a business where you kind of need you need to you need to be basically last man standing. That's the real like talent and and, uh, tenacity is all part of it, but just not giving up, which I guess is tenacity. So tenacity is the whole thing. But um, just being the last man standing really does seem to have a really big impact on on how far you're able to get in this business.
0: Resiliency. I remember Mm -hmm. watching a documentary with uh, Rita Moreno. Mm -hmm. and she's been through all these horrible things you know her uh her agent uh raped her and she stayed with him and and this is in her documentary so it's um and then you know racism ageism all this kind and she said how did you how did you hang in there and she says you have to be resilient you just have to be resilient Mm. and that's what i am and so yeah you have to be resilient
1: yeah Well, that's that's a crazy story, wild. So, what was the? So, you talked a little bit about it, but could you expand a little bit on the writing process for this film? And what was what was it actually like to write this film? Because this was your first feature, correct? Your first feature you wrote, right? So, what was the learning curve on that, and how did your writing change from the beginning and to the end of the
0: process? Uh, Well, for me, it really began in a sort of uh, very slowly and very quickly. I wrote this because uh, it took like a year to just kind of like ruminate and just walking and just taking in different images and it would just stay in my brain and I would just like write things down that moved me or that uh stayed with me and then um uh I basically over a weekend wrote the draft and but again it it took like a year of just kind of like contemplating the story and what I wanted to do with it and then I just like I went to a place called uh the writing room and it's 24 7 and you just basically go there and you can stay there all day and all night <clears> and write and write and write And no one talks to you no one bothers you there's no phones allowed and that's you just kind cool. of amazing that. yeah
1: that's an amazing that's in new york
0: yeah it's, it's called the new writing River. room yeah it's and, crazy uh, it's a sanctuary really i mean you know everyone sits in different cubicles no one's allowed to speak no mm-hmm. one's allowed to Use their phone and um, you just write. You have no choice but to write. That's amazing. And I I cranked it out over the weekend and it was terrible, but <laughs> oh. I I had an idea that this was you know in the right direction.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of first drafts are like that, where it's it's you know that it, most of it is utter crap, but that you know like okay, this is the right story to tell, even if I'm not telling it correctly yet. Right. Um, and Having tenacity to just stick in there again is, you know, that always comes back to that. So could you, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the stories of how um, projects find their funding. And this is really, you have a really cool story. Could you tell us a little bit, talk us a little bit through the process of trying to go the studio or investor route and then kind of when you decided and why you decided that wasn't the, the right direction for you as much as you're willing to share?
0: yeah I mean I had reached out to a lot of uh some of the the stars I've worked with, and uh, um they they weren't able or to, to to support the project mm-hmm. um, and then I reached out to my reps and I said, Do you know people interested in this story and you know it's interesting because the edgier the material, the more people just don't want to be associated mm-hmm. with it this kind of edgy material yeah it, it, we have a character that uh basically in this culture nobody wants to talk about um mm-hmm. and so i knew it was going to be a tough sell you know and uh so i made the decision to sell my property and with the money i financed it and i i i have no regrets because the choice was do i live the life of an actualized landlord or do i live the life of an actualized filmmaker yeah i went with filmmaker <laughs>
1: yeah i, I <laughs> that seems like the right choice it is still a difficult choice was that did you kind of sit with that choice for a while or was it an easy once you decided this is once you saw that this is the only way forward for the film were you like no this is this is an easy an easy question and then how did you kind of get get ready get used to that that idea that you had to sell this property that probably was bringing in money for you
0: yeah it, it wasn't bringing in that much money uh, a lot of the tenants were Rent-controlled, which in mm. New York means you're paying like $150 for a two-bedroom a month in rent. Uh, so I had to spend a lot of money in taxes and running the property yeah. and doing repairs and all this. And I was just miserable. And everybody yeah. was telling me, dude, you don't sell property in New York. You don't sell property. And, um, and I believed it and I for a long time. And then finally, I just felt so haunted by the script. Yeah by my own talent, really. And I just said to myself, no, I, I just, I, I can't, I can't live like this. I can't stay yeah. in, in this position. I have to do what I, I know what I was meant to do. And so, you know what they say, follow your bliss. So I, I sold the property. um I told my kid, the good news is daddy's making a movie. The bad news is you're not going to college. <laughs> We'll see how it plays out. I'm shooting a film this week, and uh, I'll be I'll be all right.
1: You got to sell out and do the I. Gilbert cinematic universe, and then then will have best college. <laughs> right. Um, so the protagonist Gilbert makes some questionable choices throughout the film, and he's definitely he's I wouldn't I don't know if I'd go so far as to call him an antihero, but he's definitely. Uh, a difficult he's a difficult person he's struggling with stuff and that's leading him to make really kind of bad uh, hurtful choices to the people he cares about and did you ever were you ever afraid of alienating the audience in that process how did you balance making him complex and grounded while also um, ensuring that you keep the audience on his side
0: well I thought the most important thing was to make sure that this character was a three-dimensional human being like Mm -hmm. if it's You know, we see so many horror films where it's just like a one-note thing, just like a killing machine, you know? Mm -hmm. So if Gilbert just went around taking photos of people, end of story, it wouldn't be interesting and nobody would want to see it. I think the fact that it's so ambiguous and layered is what makes people enjoy the film, because Mm -hmm. this is a guy who is tormented, really. He has no skills uh, in terms of how to connect with anyone mm-hmm. and he's really someone who is is trying to connect but doesn't really know how to do it so mm-hmm. he goes around taking photos and i remember uh attending a um a seminar with paul schrader who wrote taxi driver mm-hmm. and he would talk about metaphors and he would say like so the metaphor for loneliness in taxi driver is the taxi okay this guy driving around all by himself lonely and i thought that okay what's the metaphor for i gilbert and to me it was the phone because Mm -hmm. the phone we all love our phones man you know but Mm -hmm. the reality is it can be sort of like a barrier between true connection like Mm I said, there's all this surface connection with insta and tiktok but what are we really doing as a people to stay connected Mm -hmm. and so that led me to want to write about a guy who only can connect with the phone and Mm -hmm. what that would look like Mm
1: -hmm. yeah that makes sense that makes sense um so you've been an actor your entire career and this is your first time behind the typewriter and in the director's chair so what was that what was that transition like for you into directing and do you have any tips and tricks for actors transitioning into a director directorial role
0: yeah, I mean, I had done some short films in college, and so my point of view was I had a 20-day shoot for I Gilbert, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to shoot a short film every day for 20 days. Hmm. And that's how okay. I wrapped my head. Around it. Huh. I'm doing a short film a day every day for 20 days. I made sure I had weekends off, mm-hmm. so we had five, eight weeks. We never went over 10 hours. I knew exactly what I wanted to shoot, and I shot very quickly and mm-hmm. uh and we got it in um even when cast and crew came and left, you know sometimes that happens on a low budget. people mm-hmm. need to just move on, and they need to get uh more lucrative jobs and i, I right. uh, what do you got to do? You, know, you just gotta keep shooting mm-hmm. um, but i knew I knew exactly my approach um mm-hmm. and so that's it. One short film a day for twenty days. One short film a how,
1: day for
0: twenty days. That's it. And then, you know, I shot some stuff in college. I had always been a fan of of directing. When, when whenever I was on set, I mean, mm-hmm. Sydney Lumet, Sydney Pollack. I mean, I worked with some really cool directors. I would always hang around and watch them work. Saw how they spoke to to the actors. Saw how they spoke to the crew people. And I was just constantly in that position where. I had a free film school, you know, basically right. just with great directors. So I'm just constantly taking notes in my head and writing them down when I got home. Hmm. And I would have PAs come up to me. Yeah, you know, you're wrapped, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just kind of want to just check out the... I okay. can't yeah. pay you now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, those are, those are the people I, I find who succeed in this and really any business, the people who are willing to to look at the thing I'm doing now isn't necessarily always what I want to do, and I want to uh, just watch the people who are doing it because a lot of people they are there for the paycheck, and even though they may have aspirations to direct in the future, a lot of actors would just walk off the set when they're wrapped or they go to their trailers, you know, between takes. And I think it really is—it's uh, the ones who are more interested in. Like watching the directors, watching the crew and seeing uh, kind of how that works and learning that really do get the most out of it. you really can create your own experiences you can create you can make uh, any opportunity as worthless or as worthwhile as possible um, It's all up to you and what you do um, during your, your during your time
0: hundred percent hundred percent and I learned so much working with these directors and uh, so when I was on igilbert I, I had no problem talking to actors because i know the price actors pay to 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 be what they what they are and each actor is like a fingerprint you know you have to know how to speak to them for who they are like some 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 actors really want to get into it and talk about motivations and process and and this other actors they don't want to hear a a freaking word from you man and you know I, i respect both like whatever you need that's what you give them, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, people want to see the movie based on these performances. So whatever they right. need to make them feel safe on the day, that's what you do.
1: Mm-hmm. What was your most challenging experience on the set of I. Gilbert?
0: Well, I had gotten, for whatever reason, going from writer to director and back and forth, that's, that's, that comes easily. I mm-hmm. uh, And we were always like, writing on the day like i remember just constantly changing the script to adjust to the circumstances we we happen to be in mm-hmm. um uh, the challenge was producer like <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I don't like money i mean i need money and i enjoy yeah. money, but i don't like dealing with it you mm-hmm. know, I, hire, I hire people to deal with my money and i uh you know like oh yeah taxes well you deal with that i don't want to yeah i've never been comfortable with it so on the day i remember the line producer coming up to me like you have to sign these checks mm-hmm. and i was just like oh, we're about to shoot this <laughs> scene with Donna just shoot and, my movie and, yeah i know but if you don't sign the checks you know it's not gonna be- <laughs> so i'd be like signing checks man and i'd be like yeah oh, don't want to do this i don't want to do this i don't wanna- <laughs> but you do what you got to do right and, you know it, it is a a uh, machine it's mm-hmm. a, movie is a machine and you have to feed it and it, it eats money yeah um, and so you just got to keep doing it but uh, producing was the challenge
1: yeah no i produced i produced one short film in college and i will never do that again i mean you know <laughs> never say never i'll you know i'm sure there'll be films i have to you know produce to get to get made but um but yeah no it's a it's a, it's a thankless job you get yeah. none of the credit it's all the work none of the credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It sucks <laughs> and, and you know when, when you watch award shows when the producers go up nobody wants to even listen to them. No, it's like bye next Pea <laughs> <laughs> break you know like, yeah. like uh, but yeah they're absolutely necessary
1: yeah so I can imagine that acting in a film that you're also directing can be another big challenge especially when you're tackling such an intimate and grounded story like this one um so how do you balance giving like an honest and true performance with all of the logistics going on behind the set
0: uh, I have a brain, and and my wife will tell you that knows how to completely walk away <laughs> mm. when you are in a given circumstance. Like I know how to comp- compartmentalize and just actually be somewhere else. So mm-hmm. when I, when I was performing, I would have uh, Walter Cruz my stand-in. Uh, I would say, "Okay, go over here. Let's look at this. Let's set up the shot with my DP." And I would look at it, I would check it on the viewfinder, and then I would swap him out and I would do the scene. Um, and, uh, and if I liked it, if I thought it was interesting, it stayed in the movie. If it didn't advance the story, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I did it, basically. I just don't, I don't really think about too much about uh uh, the lenses and the this and the that because I I, I I I I knew what what lenses I liked I and I I had a dialogue with my DP about it. He was convinced I didn't know what I what, what I was doing, and I was convinced he didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> <clears throat> so we kind of worked it out in the middle. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely a challenging process. Uh-huh. Uh, but it it definitely made me stronger as a right. person and you have to do it you have to dive in
1: yeah yeah that just the the courage to start is the most important thing i think because it's 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 really there's there's a saying i forget who says it. i'm really i'm good with quotes but forgetting who i'm terrible with uh, remembering who said the quotes and uh there's someone someone one writer said that you can edit a blank page you can edit a bad draft you can't edit a blank page and i think that applies in all things like you just have to start you just have to dive in and it's gonna suck at first and then as you go you're gonna get better and it seems like you know your next feature you're gonna be even better and your next you're gonna be even better
0: what helped me was not talking about it uh mm-hmm. so a lot of times people like talking about what they're going to do at parties and at this and at that and And for me, I I did that. When I did that, it kind of like made me feel like, oh, yeah, I'm actually doing it Hmm. because I gave it a voice. But then nothing happened, you know. And Mm -hmm. so I realized the talking was undermining my real work. Hmm. So I stopped talking about it. Other than the writing group, I I would never talk about it. And I would just plan. I would. would, Another thing is put it on the calendar, you know, Hmm. like put it on the calendar and and make sure you have your 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 friends and whoever your collaborators are going to be. Make sure these are the dates. These are the dates we're going to shoot this. this. This is real now. Mm-hmm. And have some accountability set up for yourself. Because otherwise, if you just kind of like, when you go to a party and you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be making a movie. And it's just kind of vague. They're all going to say, wow, that's great. Like, wow, mm-hmm. good luck with that. But no one's going to hold you accountable. Right the actual peeps you're going to be shooting with Hmm. and i feel like that accountability really helped me actually get it done Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that's i think finding accountability is is super important um what's interesting that you're saying it's like talking about it kind of killed it for you i've heard somewhere that we get the same kind of endorphin rush um talking about our goals that we get um actually fulfilling our goals and actually like executing on them and that's really scary because you have to talk about your goals a little bit because like you said you have to create accountability and if you don't tell anyone about your goals there's no accountability you know there's no right. you can, you don't have to do them but if you talk too much about them then you risk like losing interest in them because you already have had the endorphin rush that you would have had if you actually executed on them
0: yeah but if you're talking to the people that are actually going to get you the money to shoot that's one thing mm-hmm. If you're talking at a party to people that you know, ultimately are not going to be a part of this, mm-hmm. then you're just kind of like getting the endorphin rush, but without getting mm-hmm. the results yeah. that move you forward.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <clears throat> fascinating. So let's move on to what happens after you wrap. Um, I Gilbert was picked up by Gravitas Ventures and released to select theaters and digital download platforms. Uh, as much as you can, can you walk us through the process of finding distribution for the film?
0: Yeah, I had uh submitted the film to a festival called uh New Filmmakers Los Angeles.
1: Oh, I love that festival. Yeah, you yeah. see there every month. It's great. Yeah.
0: yeah, they're they're fantastic people, Larry Lebeau and all these people, they're really cool. And um I said, Hey, I'm 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 looking for a distributor. If you happen to know somebody that would get into a Gilbert, let me know. And we're well, like within three days, um, they recommended the film to gravitas ventures huh. and, and gravitas just made the offer and that was it i mean <laughs> i had tried you know the whole sundance route it didn't mm-hmm. get into sundance um and i had tried all the festivals i mean it got in to like almost every festival in europe hmm. but the states were rough on me um and i just persevered and i just kept going and like submitting it and then gravitas um came around they they said look we love this movie and hmm. we can have it in front of a billion eyes you know like with all the different streaming yeah. options options there are i said a billion sounds good
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then did they yeah. kind of just take it and then you didn't you didn't uh, deal with it at all, or how how involved were you in the process of marketing? And obviously, you're marketing it now, but like uh, coming up with a marketing plan and, and um, that process after after you you know sold it to them.
0: Yeah, Gravitas is an independent uh, distributor, mm-hmm. uh, which is code for uh, you're gonna have to work on this too, buddy. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I wish you know. <laughs> I kind of wish like if there was a big corporate machine behind iGilbert, but I'm it, you know, so I had to come up with my own marketing plan. I Mm -hmm. had to hire my publicist and I had to, you know, post on Instagram and taste of Adrian. And, you know, I have to Mm -hmm. reach out and send emails and get my friends Mm -hmm. excited about it. Right. I, you know, the filmmaker's responsible for all of that. Gravitas will, will put it on their, on their social, um, and, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's not one of those things where you just hand the ball off to Gravity, Right. And now you can just go to yeah. Belize and relax. Um, no
1: billboards on Sunset.
0: <laughs> yeah, unless I paid for it. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's fine. Listen, it's gonna, it's, mm-hmm. it's in the streaming world. And uh, I've gotten a lot of positive uh, feedback from the mm-hmm. movie and, and it's out in the world and that's all I ever wanted.
1: Um, can you talk us through how you found the title "I Gilbert"? Um, when did that come out in the process? Were you uh, considering other titles, and why? Yeah. Why did you feel that that was the perfect title to um, encapsulate the film?
0: I feel like because uh, you know we all have these devices, so mm-hmm. iTunes, iMovie, mm-hmm. I, I this, i that, and I thought I wanted a movie that had a sort of a resonance with technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, you know, iTunes, iMovies, iGilbert. You know? mm-hmm. At first, it was iCreep, um, <laughs> but I just felt that it was just too on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, it was iGilbert because iGilbert, like, he's, he's trying to stand up and figure out who he is. Mm-hmm. And he's also completely enmeshed with technology right it made sense yeah
1: i definitely like i gilbert better than i creep i creep also puts you at arm's distance from the from gilbert from the character it like pass, uh passes a judgment on him before you've even started and i think yeah. i gilbert was the perfect title so congratulations to that. Thank
0: you.
1: so everybody should definitely go see this film um if they do where can they find it
0: it's streaming everywhere so whatever you got it's there so Beautiful. itunes movies amazon prime fandango youtube just right i gilbert and it'll pop up
1: perfect perfect <laughs> perfect and we'll have uh, links in the show notes to some uh some watch links as well
0: i really um, want to know what your fans think about it so you know i they can message me on at taste mm-hmm. of a on instagram and and uh, where I'll have further updates because we're going to Europe next and um, I'll let people know what's up all right wonderful
1: now before I ask my last question I want to give a quick spoiler warning I want to ask a few specifics if you don't mind of um, um, aspects of the film Um, so firstly the kind of subplot The the film went to a lot of places that I was not expecting it to go, and I loved every one of them. The first one was um, the subplot with the uh, Central Park rapist and um, uh, uh, Gilbert becoming the... Person, the star witness in the rapist investigation. So obviously, that when you were telling the story earlier about the woman um, with the man taking photos of her, uh, that that seemed like it could have been somewhat inspired by that. But what was the impetus for that? When did you when did you realize that that was an important um, storyline to add? Because it doesn't uh, off the bat. Like if I was outlining this film, I don't think in a million years I ever would have thought, oh, let's make him the star investigation in a citywide manhunt.
0: Right, right. I, to me, it was uh, to show how how the phone can be your friend and it could be your enemy. It can save a life and it can hmm. destroy a life. Okay. And here, here he had an opportunity uh, to show a, a moral compass that we mm-hmm. haven't seen before. Um, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I feel like uh, he was just completely inept in, in terms of like doing the right thing or having the right skills. He's trying to survive with every picture he took of everyone. He's just trying to connect. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't realize that this is the inappropriate way of doing it. Right. Um, but here he is, he's photographing a woman uh, uh, that he's drawn to and trying to connect with in his broken way. And then he sees this guy confessing to a crime mm-hmm. suddenly his moral compass is awakened and he realizes this could this could incriminate him and let me film him and it was just to show the power of the phone and how it can work for us mm-hmm. and against us that's great
1: I also i think it's i think it's super interesting because you you talk about how gilbert often isn't seen by people and that like that's a core tenet of the film and what's kind of interesting is the rapist you know follows him off the train uh into into um grand central station and then um but when he passes out the rapist doesn't think to go find his phone or grab his phone and it's it's almost one more example of oh okay this man is no longer a threat um it's a very another another kind of more subtle way of of, of um, talking about how Gilbert um, is not really seen by anybody.
0: Yeah, thank you for catching that. And you know, like uh, that was one of several. <laughs> you just you just touched a nerve, dude, because that that scene. <laughs> um, we we shot it in Grand Central in New York, and initially in the script, the phone falls on uh, a subway track. Mm. And Gilbert dives onto the track because he knows he's got the evidence Uh, and a train comes and he gets his phone and people pull him up and it's that classic dramatic, Mm -hmm. you know, train almost got me but I got the evidence. (laughs) And uh, when we got to Grand Central they said, no. (laughs) You you absolutely cannot shoot that. That would cause copycats. And no freaking way. No, no. So then I I, I like, okay, what can I do? And then so we shot a scene of Gilbert uh, running away from those guys. Like he gets (laughs) out of the train station. He's running away and they track him down. They pin him down. They start hitting him and getting the phone. And he just starts screaming, you're not getting my fucking phone. You're not getting (laughs) my phone. Um, And then uh, neighbors start hearing them and the police you can hear a, a cop car coming and then the guys the thugs just walk away um, mm-hmm. this one the choice you see in the movie felt the most gilbert like like mm-hmm. he's not in good health he's mm-hmm. diabetic he's like and it felt right that you know he would just basically just stop himself like he's, he, his body gives out on him and yeah collapses and they don't want to start with him now because he's Mm -hmm. in the middle of grand central so they're going to be like nah we can't do anything you know Mm -hmm. he's right so that just made the most sense it was subtle but it, it felt right
1: oh yeah i think it was absolutely the right choice and then um the ending so obviously the ending is a little bit ambiguous um I thought the intre- how, how you place as you kind of we come into the last couple minutes of the film. I thought the uh, it's interesting how because obviously the moment you the moment we first see him filming Jana um in the shower and and everything we immediately know okay at some point in this film uh she's going to see these these pictures. And I thought it's it, the the interesting the the idea I would have the the kind of classic way of doing it would have been like as she you know right before they have sex or right after they have sex or something. But you, you wait until the very last moment, like probably five minutes, I'd say, before the end, three to five minutes before the end of the film, for her to see those pictures and for her to reject him. And then you force him to go through the, the um, dis- decision to be better and go see her. But we don't actually know if he has, because at the end, you still have the, the phone poking out of the pocket. So, can you talk about what you were thinking in those these moments, and what what made you make the decision to have the ending uh, happen there? H- Had those specific
0: beats play out in that way? Um, I mean, <laughs> I'd like to think that Gilbert doesn't have the the phone uh, on in that last scene. Um, I'd like to think that it's not running. I set it up directorially that way because I just wanted the audience to, to project themselves into the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, am, am I going to live the life of true connection or am I going to stay behind this phone and mm-hmm. obsess with my phones in, in the day-to-day life? That was right. the sort of macro point of the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like um, Gilbert wants, Gilbert realizes through all the things that have happened, because he pays a very steep price for his choices. Mm-hmm. He, the building gets burned down, and you know, he's, he, he has to uh, go to the, to, the, to the cop and Detective Rivera's like, listen, you can do this again, you're going to jail. And mm-hmm. so he understands the price of, for what he's doing. And he wakes up and he wants, I think he really loves Jana, and I think he really wants to be with her. Um, but I left the phone in the pocket so that people can can wonder like mm-hmm. where is this all going just mm-hmm. in terms of a societal point mm-hmm. of view like where are we going with all this? Mm-hmm. Are we still with our phones all the time? Are we gonna put down the phone and just like call people and see how they're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um that was that. And then I feel like um I don't know. I don't know if they wind up together. I'd like yeah I'd like to think they do.
1: Yeah, me too. <laughs> All right. Um, One more time, your social media.
0: People have forgiven a lot lot worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's
1: true. Um, All right. One more time before my last question. Your Instagram is?
0: Taste of Adrian.
1: And is that the best place for people to reach out? Yes. Okay, great. So watch the film, reach out. Any any questions or thoughts? I'm
0: also on Twitter, Taste of Adrian, and Facebook, Taste of Adrian taste of adrian is the main gotcha taste of
1: adrian anywhere you social all right my final question i always call this your screenwriter survival tip uh what's the most important thing you tell a young screenwriter or an actor who's transitioning um into their first writing project to help them not only survive but thrive in this industry
0: get help Hmm. and uh, get help remember um I've, I've I've written several scripts uh, since I, Gilbert, and uh, I have one that I'm going to be shooting this year. Um, but all of it is possible because I got help. And mm-hmm. for me, the help was the writing group mm-hmm. and working with other writers, hearing their stuff, being inspired by them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this thing called the Net of Gems, which is a story from Joseph Campbell, who wrote a mm-hmm. book called Power and the Myth. And he talks about how, in Indian culture, they see people—it's a metaphor for the world, like as a net of gems. Like we're all in this net of gems, you know. If you take one gem out of the net, it's interesting. Um, but if you put the, that one gem back into the net, one gem reflects off the other, and the collective glows and is powerful and glistens. Huh. That's who we are. We are hard uh, driven to, to to work with each other, to connect mm-hmm. with each other, and even in writing, I found that to be the case. So, hmm. finding a, a support group, a writing group uh, that can help you um, hear your words, you hear them, you give them feedback, they give you feedback. That found that to me that was enormously helpful. Oh, and if that's not going to work for you then I understand that, you know, you may have your own different process. So maybe you just want to collaborate with one other person. Mm-hmm. If you want to write all by yourself and you feel you have that kind of ability to do that, then go for it, you know? Mm-hmm. But make sure you work in a sacred place. Like, for me, mm-hmm. it took out to be uh, the writing room in uh, where there's, just, like, no distractions. You mm-hmm. know, like, no one can get to me. Yeah. Um, but you have to find a safe space to work because... Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're doomed. It just, there's just so many distractions right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing, that's the writing was an amazing feature. And that was an, a, a great screenwriter's Bible tip, getting help. I think that's, that's super important to work with other people and to, it's also easy to kind of box yourself off and kind of go crazy with your writing. Just, uh, <laughs> just writing yourself and uh, not, and it can feel like you're writing into a void. And when you, you know, invite other people into that void, it starts to make things much,
0: much and, easier. And that you, you, you don't have to be Paul Schrader, you know, you are mm-hmm. enough, you know, hmm. we're interested in, in your story. We're interested in your point of view. Mm. You know, don't, don't compare. Well, this is sucks because it's not the Shawshank Redemption. Okay. That's <laughs> fine. Doesn't right. have That story's been told. We want Mm -hmm. your story. Mm -hmm. So really, really know you enough. Hmm. That's great.
1: All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Screenwriter Survival Guide. If we're delivering any insight or value to you, please drop us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and follow us there so you can get every new chapter as it airs. In the meantime, you can find the show online at screenwritersurvivalguide.com, and you can find me on Instagram at sam brooks presents. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive.